Good to see you this morning. Welcome to Grace Church. Um, I wanted to show that video to you because we support that ministry. And we've been doing it for about two years now. It's really exciting. To, uh, a pastor friend of mine challenged me. He said, Dave, what do you do for Israel? And I said, nothing. So we pray for him. He said, well, I want to challenge you to support some ministry in Israel because there's a scripture that talks about if you bless Israel, you'll be blessed. So about two or three years ago, we started to, we just chose this ministry because it just seemed like a really, I'm kind of from an athletic background and it was athletic, it was uh, outdoors and it was leadership, everything I like. <laughs> so I thought this is a good one. It's bringing Jews and Arabs and Christians all together to learn how to lead. Um, thought it was a good thing. And you know, I can't, I can't prove it. But I can say that when we started blessing Israel, we were blessed as a church. Um, I can't prove that, but I just can look at the calendar. I take pretty good notes of when we do things. And, and uh, it was just amazing what we're seeing. Uh, I'm glad to be a part of something that's happening there. Because, you know, when you look at the fact that the world is getting worse as far as challenges and problems and difficulties and terrorism is on the rise. Um, all these uh, desperate situations in the world, but that is not the signpost of the end of days. It's not the signpost of when Jesus will return. There is one signpost in the world, and that's Israel. So we look at Israel and see what's going on with Israel and then we know how close we are. Now, how many of you understand that we're getting closer and closer every day? But when we look at Israel, 1948, they became a nation again. And there's so much opposition, so much persecution. But as we see Israel becoming stronger and stronger, there's going to become a day when the scales are lifted off their eyes and they'll see that Jesus was a Jew. They already know that, but they'll know that he was their savior uh, there's a lot of Jews that have come to Christ, but there's going to be a massive influx of Jews realizing that Christ, Jesus Christ, is their Savior. And then the end is really close. So anyhow, uh, or I should say the beginning is really close because God's going to turn it all around. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be this world that we know. It's going to be so much better. Amen. It's, it's going to be good. Well, anyhow, I've got a, a few things to talk about today that won't take us very long, but I want to hit some, some lies about church. We've been doing a series on lies and, and uh, how lies come to our head and they speak to us lies. We talked about intimacy. We talked about, Diane addressed last week lies about faith. Uh, today we're going to talk about lies about the church and and where I want to go with this is I want to take us to a place where we see God's perspective of the church, not so much our perspective, because our, our perspective of, of church could be, depending on how bad you've been hurt in church and by Christians, you know, or what kind of experience, you, you might have had great experiences uh, in church, uh, you might have had lousy. Now, if you haven't been to church in a long time, or you haven't even been before, and you just happen to end up here uh, just want to say thank you for being brave to come because that's difficult to do. I remember when I first became a Christian, I started looking for a different church and, and uh, 
uh, I was still going to the church with my family, but I was looking for something a little bit more vibrant. Um, and I came to the door of this church, and they were singing in there real loud, and I just walked away. <laughs> it was just totally intimidating to me. So I understand that journey. I understand that process. It happens to a lot of us. But I do want to commend you for coming, and thank you for visiting and being our guest today. A lot of what I'm going to say to, the, to you today is... is is both for, for people that have been in church that are Christians following Jesus a long time and, and for those that this is their first time back or the first time uh, period. So, but I want to start out, I just kind of want to start out a little bit light today. Um, this has nothing to do with what we're going to be talking about, but I found some, what I consider humorous. Um, let's start with this right here. Isn't that great? I just, I just love that. You can laugh a little bit if you, if you find it humorous. You don't have to laugh, but it just made me think about how much I miss my hair. And uh, You know there's a scripture that says, Jesus said, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God, and even the very hairs of your head or back are all numbered. So don't be afraid. But really, the, the, the point is that God cares about you right now, right where you are. Isn't that good? And if he doesn't have to count as high now, that's fine too. He still cares about you. Gary was having a yard sale. And a pastor bought a lawnmower but returned it back to him a few days later. And he complained that it wouldn't run. Past, he said, man, this, this thing isn't running. He said, yeah, it'll run. Gary said, he said but you, you got to cuss at it to get it to start. And the pastor was shocked. He said, I haven't cussed in 30 years, and I, I'm in the ministry, and I haven't cussed all that time. Not one word of, has been articulated by these lips that is a cuss word. And Gary looked at him and like, all right. Just keep pulling on that starter rope and that, those words will come back to you. <laughs> oh, some of you are getting it right now. That's great. I have a question for you. Is Google male or female? Female. Because it doesn't let you finish a sentence before making a suggestion. Diane's down working with the kids today, so. <laughs> oh, and I love this one. So a waitress asks for their orders, and the guy says, hamburger, fries, and a Coke. And he turns to the ostrich, what's yours? I'll have the same, says the ostrich. It's a true story. Just kidding. Short time later, the waitress returns for the order. With the order, said, that would be $18.40, please. The man reaches into his pocket and, without looking, pulls out the exact change for the payment. Next day, the guy and the ostrich come again, and the guy says, a hamburger, fries, and a Coke, please. And the ostrich says, I'll have the same. Again, the guy reaches in the pocket when it's time to pay and pays with the exact change again. And this becomes routine in this restaurant until one night they enter in the restaurant and the waitress asks, the usual? 
No, this is Friday night, so I'll have a steak, a baked potato, and a salad. And Asher says, me too. And the waitress brings the order and says, that'll be 42.62. And once again, the guy reaches into his pocket and he pulls out the exact change and places it on the table. And the waitress can't hold back her curiosity any longer, so she says, excuse me, sir. He says, how do you manage to always come out with the exact change of your pocket every time you make an order? Well, says the guy, several years ago I was cleaning out my attic and I found this old lamp and I rubbed on the lamp and a genie appeared and the genie offered me two wishes. And my first wish was that if I ever had to pay for anything, I would just put my hand in my pocket and the exact amount of change or money would be there to pay for it. And the waitress says, that's brilliant. You didn't ask for a million dollars or anything like that. You just asked for the exact, so you'd be rich for the rest of your life. That's just so brilliant. He said, that's right. Whether it's a gallon of milk, Rolls Royce, the exact money's always there, says the guy. So the waitress says, okay, so, but sir, what about that ostrich? Well, the guy sighs and he answers, he said, well, my second wish, I will wish for a tall chick with a long legs that agrees with everything that I say. <laughs> okay. And I do not know how to bridge from that to this, but... So why is it so important that we confront lies that are told to us? Um, why is it that in some ways we're very vulnerable to lies and especially when it comes to the church and what can happen there in our heads. John Stott was an Anglican pastor and theologian and he used to say, many people love Jesus but they're not so sure about the church. C.S. Lewis used to quip, Christians are the greatest argument for Christianity. And the worst argument against her. So it makes me think about what is the real church? What is a healthy church? And why should I be involved with the local church? There's a recent survey in 2013 by the Barna Group, which does amazing work. And they asked over a thousand American adults the following question. What do you think about going to church? About 30% of Americans say attending church is very important. About 40% are ambivalent toward attending church. And 30% say attending church is not important at all. Now those who are ambivalent about attending churches or attending church... They gave two reasons, two fundamental reasons, two top reasons for it. And quote, unquote here, I find God elsewhere. That's 40% of those that are ambivalent toward church. And the second reason is it's not personally relevant to my life, 35%. Now, I'll talk a little bit about millennials. I love millennials. Uh, all my kids are millennials. Um, and some of you are millennials here. Um, 
But some, not all, of course, but there have been some millennials who are checking out a church and they, they don't want to have much to do with it. They're opting out. And they cite the following three factors with equal weight in their decision to opt out of church. And this is number one. Number one is the moral failures of church leaders. So it, it causes a disillusionment. disillusionment. And number two, hypocrisy that they see in, in, in people. And number three is the church's irrelevance. Now, I, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of those, but just to encourage you, there have been moral failure in church leaderships since the beginning of the church. And it will continue to happen. You can't let that dissuade you. You can't let that discourage you. Um, it happened to me personally. I, I didn't f fall morally, but the person that I was working with, a pastor that I was serving, uh, he fell. And it split the church wide open. It, it caused so much destruction and hurt. But you know, I'm just going to tell you, you can live past it. And it's hard, it's painful. Some of you have been hurt in church, and it's difficult. I understand that. I really understand that. But please, just consider the fact that Jesus hasn't changed, right? And he still loves you, and he still loves the people that you've been hurt by, or that you've hurt, or, you know, there's just conflict because we're people, Right? Just understand that there's still a higher purpose and don't quit. Because you need the church and the church needs you. And what Jesus is doing to the church is incredibly important and you can be an incredible important part of that piece. Uh, just take that for what it is. I hope that will bring encouragement to you. You're not alone in your hurt is what I'm trying to say. It's happened to all of us. And it will continue to happen. But it's not the end of the story. Um, probably I've been hurt the most in church. And I've been around doing this for 31 years now. Um, but I've also had my greatest joys here too. And I've seen the worst of people and I've seen the best of people. And I can just tell you the the men that are with me on, and women that are with me on a, in a close leadership uh, working relationship, I, I have never experienced such um, helpful attitudes, such healthy uh, attitudes towards the church. They serve you, and you don't even know who they are, um, but they... They help me. They have Diane in my, my back. Uh, and I'm just so thankful for the lead team that I've got now. It's just incredible. So uh, even though you don't know, would you give them a hand because they're serving you every, every week? Um, so you're, you're good. You know, think about your own nuclear family. Some of your worst experiences have happened there, but also some of your best. Your, your greatest memories. So, you know, I wish, I wish, but this isn't heaven. It's just not ideal. But, but isn't it amazing that God chooses you to work with <laughs> and me? He, he, isn't it amazing he, would, he doesn't give up on us no matter what's been happening? I'm way off my notes here, but I just wanted to share some of that uh, as a way of encouragement. 
Now, 20% of millennials say that, that God is missing from church. I hope not here. I hope nobody leaves here without at least having an opportunity to experience and encounter the living Lord Jesus himself and the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray for that constantly, believe for it to happen every, every weekend that we, in every service, in every small group, we pray for that earnestly. Um, and then 10% sense of the millennial sense that doubt is prohibited. I, th- I thought this was really interesting, that doubt was prohibited in a church environment. I want to say that you're free to doubt. And we are fellow strugglers in this. But that's not to say that faith can't come into your heart and eradicate that doubt. But yeah, you have permission to doubt. We all struggle with that from time to time. How is it that one day we can believe God and trust Him and immediately there seems to be answers or at least in the, in the, down the road there's some answers and you're thinking, man, faith works. And then other things that we struggle with, we seem to slam up against that door again and again and there doesn't seem to be any change and there doesn't seem to be any answers. Have you ever been there? I've been there many times. And then when you, when you have that kind of frustration what do you do? You've got to sing that song we sang this morning. He's a God of miracles. He's still a God of miracles. When he came out up out of that grave, that was the ultimate miracle, and he's still alive. So keep believing. Keep trusting. Because he's a God of miracles. I don't understand why we go through those frustrations, but I do know that there's always a purpose. And I do know that God is alive. And if we can keep those in mind and keep trusting Him, I believe that those miracles, as you receive them, will happen and you'll enjoy them. God's good, isn't He? Okay, so let's attack some of these three lies about church. There's a whole lot more. I mean, (laughs) we could just go on for days, the lies that I hear about church, and because I'm always trying to get people to come to church and or go somewhere, you know, I'm just, that's just my mission. And, uh, and, and, but not just to go to church, just to, I just know what it can do to light the fire spiritually inside you for a spiritual encounter and spiritual growth. Um, so I hear these lies a lot, and I tried to narrow it down to just some simple ones, three simple ones. And, uh, and you think about this. If you were the devil and it was going to be dangerous if people that you're trying to recruit, it's going to be dangerous if people were were to go to an environment where they are going to be bolstered in faith towards God who you're against. They're going to receive truth, which is against the lies that you're trying to dissuade them with. And they're going to go in this environment and they're going to grow spiritually. They're going to get stronger in their faith because of the truth that they receive. Wouldn't it behoove you as the devil? Wouldn't you strategize to distract them from ever going there? Wouldn't you? Absolutely. So it shouldn't surprise us that there are a lot of lies that come at us about 
Church, let me just throw this definition out to you real quickly, what a church is. A lot of times we don't even know what that word means. It's a German word, but it, what, what the Greek word is ekklesia, and it just means to be called out. So we're going to look at this passage here in a little while. Just, it, it talks about Jesus said that he's going to build his church. He's going to build a people that are called out. Now what does that mean to be called out? You're called out of the world. You're called out of the world system. You're called out of, of a place of doubt and animosity toward God into a place of belief, a belief of freedom, into a place of relationship with Jesus Christ who's alive. And that's simply what he's doing. And when he gathers those people that are called out, that gathering is what we call the church. And there's all kinds of shapes and sizes and different philosophies of ministry um, all across the board. There's traditional, there's, there's contemporary, there's all kinds. It just kind of depends what your preferences are. The problem is we have fought for the wrong things. We have fought for our preferences instead of what Jesus is doing in the earth. We should be for every church that are called out believers trying to seek God and trying to reach people that still don't know Christ or have any kind of relationship with, with Him yet. We should be for each other, not against. If you have a preference for traditional worship, that's great. I'm for you. I had a pastor come in here last week, or I'm sorry, this weekend, called me yesterday, said, man, I heard about all the things that you're doing. I'd like to look at your environment. He came in. He's, from, he's been pastoring a church. We've been friends for a long, long time. And he, he, and he said, I just heard about it, and I'd like to see what you're doing. I want, to, I want to steal some of your ideas. He said, that's what I do all the time, wherever I go. I steal ideas and see what will fit. And, and uh, so he came in here and said, oh, this is just amazing. This is amazing. You can't hardly tell it from the outside. I said, no, we haven't got there yet. That's more money, you know. And, uh, but he came in and said, this is just amazing. Uh, he says, I, ours is, is really different. Um, are there things that I can do? I said, absolutely. Can I come up there? He said, I wanted you to come up there and just share your ideas with me. I said, yeah, we've been doing this for a couple years now and, and have learned some things that I'd love to share with you. But I'm for him. I'm for anybody that's trying to serve the church. Because this is God's greatest passion. That he would call people out of the world to come and gather receive truth, and then take that truth to the world. That's his greatest passion. And, well, let's go on. I'll hold that thought for a little bit. Let's go to lie number one here. And again, I want you to consider, just listen to how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today. I want us to consider how God sees the church. So here's lie number one. The church is boring and irrelevant. And there's nothing that I can do about. So lie number one, it starts with an accusation. And the accusation goes like this. Church is so boring. And church is irrelevant. Now here's... 
The truth about that is that that's not always untrue. <laughs> you know, church can be boring. But you know what? Yeah. I think sometimes we get an idea that church should be entertaining. And we do everything that we can, you know, to keep it engaging. And some days I'm on and some days I'm off. And, and then we try, we try to bring a team. And Coach Miller speaks for us. And, and Diane speaks for us. And Jimmy speaks for us. And, and we, you know, we try to mix it up. And I need to do that more. Um, but, you know, you, you get more from different people. And, and, and our worship, you guys just blew it out of the water again today. Isn't worship amazing? I mean, I, I would rather not be anywhere but here for worship. And I don't know if that comes from being around these guys who are so pleasant to be around or if it's, if it's, if it's I, I've just grown to be accustomed to the way that they lead I've just watched them grow over the years, and especially in the last couple of years, it just seems like they're getting better and better all the time. And not that it's a performance, because it's not. It's they're leading our hearts to worship, and I need that. I need that every Sunday. And there's a lot on my mind on on the weekend service, and but there's every every service. I'm not thinking so much about the message at that moment when there's a ministry moment. And this morning, I don't even know if I'm going to get to all this, but this morning, I, I just want to share with you, there was a ministry moment during that song when we were singing, I believe, in Miracles, that I'm, I'm worshiping and I'm thinking, God is a God of miracles, right? And, and I'm thinking about the words that we're singing. And then I realize, you know, it's not enough to believe that he's a God in miracles. I have to receive his miracles. And right then, I knew that the Holy Spirit was working in my heart. And we were singing, I believe in miracles. And, and I just kind of switched it in my mind and said, I receive your miracles. Just receive your miracles. Because I need a miracle. There's several miracles that I really need right now. In relationships and in people and for this church and just... Receive that. Will you close your eyes for a minute and just say this after me? Heavenly Father, I believe in miracles. I believe, God, that you are a God of miracles. And so right now, I receive your miracle. And whatever that is, you can have it. Because God's good to you. If you'll believe and trust him. But there's all kinds of philosophies and all kinds of practices, church practices. Um, my wife grew up Catholic, and I had I have no idea what Catholicism is about. And we were going to one of her sister's weddings, and it was really interesting because um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not trying to be irrelevant, but I know nothing about Catholicism. Okay, so. Went to this wedding and I said, we sat down and, and I said, oh, look at that. They got a footrest right there for you. <laughs> I'm not trying to be a real, she, she hits me. I can't take you anywhere. You know, and she said, that's not a footrest, that's a kneeler. Oh, what's a kneeler? I, I did not know. So 
That's why I go overboard in trying to explain our experience here. You know, we raise our hands some. Some people do, some people don't. You're welcome to participate because there's some scriptures that talk about that. Isn't that, isn't that okay? I mean, just kind of going overboard and explaining why we do some of these things and so that it's not all Greek, different language to people. And there's something that we try not to do around here, especially on this kind of service, is, is the, the, all right, I'm going to step on some toys, toes here, but the Christianese, the language, you know, all of that, people don't understand that very much. We don't talk that way usually. And I try, I try, you know, I watched myself last week. I can't complete a sentence. I can't complete a sentence. It was so agonizing to watch. John does a great job filming. And I was, I, Dai says, you, you need to watch yourself so you improve. I said, great. So, <laughs> so I watch it and I was like just hurting in every place of my body. It's like I had no idea I'd never cl- complete sentences. You know, I just start on one thing and go to another thing and never finish that. And I'm doing it right now, you know. <laughs> so... Anyhow, where was I? <laughs> I love this question, though. When it comes to church lies, and, and especially this one, um, what was the lie? The church is boring and irrelevant, and there's nothing I can do about it. Here's the, here's the, the, the lie about that, because the first part is true. Sometimes it is boring. Sometimes it's just... But you know, when I was an athlete, no longer in one, but when I was, practice was boring. Sorry, Coach Miller. But I loved practice. I was one of those weird guys that liked practice. I liked to get better. And there's a statement I want to throw at you, and I'd love for it to be planted in your brain. How can I make it better? So whenever criticism is coming up, you know, I wish they would do this and this. How can I make it better? I'm going to tell you a story, and, and I think it's relevant for us today. But, and some of you don't know our, our history, but we've been at it quite a while. Uh, started the church in 1990. And I'm going to fast forward. Gosh, I wouldn't want to put you through those 20 years. Uh, <laughs> But we, we had done ministry for 20 years and it came to the end of that 20 years. And, and during that year, I, I, you have no idea how much we get taken on the chin with stuff and, um, until you're there at the helm and understand some of it and experience some of it. It's just some of it's really difficult. And uh, I came to the place in about 19, well, we'd been doing it for 20 years and it was in our 21st year. I just told Di, I said, I got nothing left. I'm sorry if I get emotional because I really feel ashamed about this because this is God's church and I just had to get honest with myself that I got nothing. I'm so burnt out. I I told her these words and she's never heard these words before. I got no passion and I've got no vision. I'm dead in the water if something doesn't change. Because you cannot lead without passion. You cannot, it's just, there's too many hits you take, there's just too much. 
You cannot lead without passion. You cannot lead without vision. I don't care what you're doing, if it's church work or anything. If you don't have those two things, you're dead. And I knew it. And a friend of mine who I'm going to have come as soon as he can break loose a little bit, but he pastored a church in Columbia, Columbia uh, Woodcrest, and his name is Pete Van Ward. And I got connected with him somehow through a mutual friend. And uh, he told me during that time, during that period of time, he said, you need to go to the Global Leadership Summit. And I said, I looked at it. It's pretty pricey, though. And, you know, don't have that kind of money. He said, find it. Find it. I said, okay. I didn't go that year, but I went the next year, and this is 2011. Whenever you say the word, or the number 2011, man, my heart just leaps for joy. Because that was when I changed. And what happened was, I went to this conference. They satellited it from Willow Creek to, to uh, St. Louis. And, and I thought, well, it would be easier to go there. Tickets are all sold out in, in, uh, in Chicago anyhow. So I went to the feed in St. Louis, which was a big feed. There were about 3,000 people there in the feed. You know? So uh, they're piping this all over the world. Uh, went in there, and Bill Hybels gave this message. Uh, and I, I'm telling you guys, I have never been hit right between the eyes like that message hit me. And I knew the place that I was in, in my criticism. I was, I was, const, I was constantly fighting this battle of criticism in my mind of, of people. And I couldn't get past it. I don't know if you've ever been there. But I just found my vulnerabilities and I found my weaknesses and I couldn't get past them. And I was critical about people. I was critical about leaders. I was critical about pastors. I was critical about the church. I was critical in almost every realm of what I'm doing. And I listened to this message. And I'm not going to tell you what the message was because it probably wouldn't be meaningful to you, but it was meaningful to me. But I can remember um, two things of that message, especially, and I've gone back to the message over and over again when I need to slap. But I can remember this. It seemed like God jumped out of that video screen through Bill Hybels' words and rushed into my heart with this, and, and God's always gentle with me, but sometimes he has to be pretty firm. And it was firm, it was loving, it was gentle, it was all of that, but he came right to my heart and he said, you are the problem. You are the problem. It's not the people around you, it's you. You've got to change. You've got to change. And I mean, the tears just started flooding from my heart, my face, I couldn't stop weeping. And I literally, that was in the morning. That was the 9 o'clock session. I started weeping. This is 20 years of hurt, 20 years of, of bad experiences coming out of me. I cried. I literally sat there. I felt sorry for the people around me. It's like, what is wrong with this guy? And I could not keep the tears. And I'm not a crier that, until I get up here. I don't know. I go out there, I don't cry. I come up here, I just, you know, what is that? And 
And, uh, and I just started flowing. That was the first session. I cried all the way till noon, and it wouldn't stop. All afternoon, it, cried, it just kept coming out of me. All the way through that afternoon, I, I commuted. I didn't stay. I came back to home here in Rolla and came home. My eyes, I couldn't hardly see as it bloodshot. And she's like, what happened to you? I said, I, <laughs> I couldn't even explain it. And she said, I just constantly talking. Couldn't get it out. Tried. So I thought, man, when I wake up in the morning, I'll go back up for the second day. It's only two days. And everything will be better. I got in the car. Just starts happening again. I really look back at that experience and I know that God was just cleansing me. Cleansing me. I had to be willing, but he just he was taking it all out. Are you there? Are you at a place where you'll allow God to do that if you've got resentment toward anybody? He wants to do that. It doesn't mean that you have to cry all day, but he does want to clean you of that and correct our thinking. Went back there and Cried through every single session. And that was the beginning. In that conference, there was a story. And I prayed during that conference. I said, I know what you're doing. You're, letting, you're helping me let go of all this. And I'm finally coming to this place, this leader that you want me to be. But I don't know what to do. God, this is so bad. What I'm experiencing right now. This is, he said, Don't you think I know that? Oh, yeah, you're God. I said, What am I supposed to do? And he spoke these words to me. He says, If you'll trust me and you'll quit complaining, I'm a last born, so I complain a lot. And I think I've started to grow out of that in the last seven years now. Um, and if you'll just lead, and you quit doing what I'm supposed to do and do what you're supposed to do, we'll get out of this. I said, well, what is it that I'm doing that I'm not supposed to do that you're supposed to do? He says, I'm the one that's supposed to move on people's hearts. And you're trying to move on people's hearts. Quit it. Well, what am I supposed to do? He said, you lead. And you don't care if people follow you or not. You lead. And so I've never, from that day, I've never held it against. I used to hold it against people if they didn't follow me. I have never done that since it's been seven years. This is a lot better. This is so much better. There was a story that was told by a guy that was, he was a black man that was a mayor in, in New Jersey. And he, he, it was during this conference. And he told this story about... Um, when he was running for mayor, I think it was, or maybe, no, he's already a mayor, and he had an apartment, he wasn't married yet, and he had an apartment, and I think it was Newark, New Jersey, and uh, so below in the streets, in that apartment complex, below in the streets, there was a lot of drug abuse, there was a lot of drug dealing, just rampant through the streets, and there was this little uh, uh, black lady that, that 
would talk to him when he would come home from the office, come back to his apartment, and she would kind of get in his face, get in his way, and say, well, what are you going to do about all this? What are you going to do about all this? And he said, I don't know yet. Next day, what are you going to do about all this? I, I, I don't know yet, ma'am. I'm still working on things, and we're, we're thinking about things. Next day, next week, next month, this went on and on and on. And finally, he started to avoid her, you know. And she saw that, and she followed him to his apartment. Came to the door after he totally avoided her, came to the apartment. He went inside his apartment, and she came up to the door. He said, oh, he opens the door, it's you. He said, what are you going to do about all this down there? He said, ma'am, I don't know. I don't know what to do about all that down there. And she looked at him and got in his face and pointed her finger and said, just do something. Just do something. Those words burned in my heart. I said, I don't know what to do. And it was like God jumped through that screen with that guy sharing that story. And he, he showed me, I just got to do something. It doesn't matter if it's perfect. I just got to do something. I got, and I wrote those words down. I got to do something. And so that's what I did. I printed that off. I made it real big. Just in, in my, my notebook that I keep all my goals and stuff in. I have that still there. After seven years, it's still there, and I read it from time to time. Just do something. You know, you'll never criticize when you're doing something. And think about all the somethings that can be done around here. Man, we just started this journey. This journey, I'm, I'm more alive now than I've ever been. I can see what God can do. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of things around, a lot of somethings around here. People that are greeting people, people that are, are, are giving people coffee, people that are teaching kids, people that are, are, are helping with a grow track, people that are, are reaching out individually, taking people to lunch and just exposing them to the goodness of God. There's something that you can do. Just make it better. I like, God, I, I got that. I can do that. It's amazing when you, you know what happens is, is, is that dreams explode in your heart when you see possibilities. So if there's a place in your heart that's dead, what would make it better? Just do something. Just do something. How many of you have a dream? How many of you have a goal? How many have connected those goals and those dreams to what God cares the most about? Can you? How many of you have a hobby? How can you connect that to the kingdom of God? There's just something about living life for ourselves compared to the way Jesus lived them, lived his life. He lived his life for us. 
How can you get to that place where what you desire, what, what you're earning, what you love is connected to what God loves? And I started looking at everything I wanted, everything I was doing, everything. Nothing was not under scrutiny. Everything. All my heart's desires, all my plan. And I said, how can I connect that to the kingdom? How can... They're not connected. God, help me with this. And he showed me how I could connect every one of those to the kingdom. I don't always do it perfectly, but that is really living for God. Let the dreams that are in you, no matter what's happened, no matter what kind of hurt you've gone through, let the dreams come alive again. Just do something. And could I add to that? Dream something. So I don't know if it's God's dream or mine. Just dream it. Just dream it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to dream bigger. And the dreams that have died, will you resurrect them for us now? In Jesus' name. God, where there's hurt and pain, would you bring your healing? Will you build back in us a greater hope than was ever there? Would you bring back and reconstruct a dream that's, that's more in tune with what you care about most? Would you use us, God, in your kingdom? Would you use us, God? Would you bring back the passion? Would you bring us Vision like we've never seen it before. A clarity of where we can help. Even if it's small things, give us clarity of vision in those things. And pray for each one of us, God. That we'd be open and obedient to what Scripture calls the heavenly vision. That you know we were born for, that you know that you've gifted us for. Thank you, God, for being so patient with us. It took me 20 years to get a hold of this. God, you've been so patient with me, but now my heart is a fire. It's burning because you've connected me with your kingdom purposes. And I ask that that just spread to each of us. God, where there's death, where there's hurt, burn that out of us now, God. And let the fire of the Holy Spirit burn so bright and so hot that we're not cold, we're not lukewarm, but we're hot. Spread that fire on us. These are the days that you've ordained for us to live in. These are the days that you chose to use us. And let us understand the importance of our day right now.
Jesus' name. Amen.